don't know about you, but those are a lot of my favorite songs. I hope they were yours too. It's, been a, it's, it's good to remember. It's good to reflect. Like bells in heaven. I love the piano playing. Um, it's been 23 years since I pastored a church, and uh, I miss it. It's precious coming here. Thank you. Um, I serve uh, the Southeast District for the Evangelical Free Church. My wife and I are church planning missionaries. When we came here, this was what they called a pioneer district. We don't have enough churches, and we don't have any money, so can you come? And God has been very generous in uh, meeting our needs along the way, and we've seen it really grow and continue to grow. And so at this point in time, just since the last time I was with you, we've added two more churches, so we're about 29 new church starts in the Southeast District. also includes Haiti and Puerto Rico, so a little bit of territory there, nine states. Glenn Schreiber, our district superintendent, extends his greetings to you, his condolences to you, Robin, your family, and um, he had a commitment he just couldn't get out of. He tried. So he's so sorry for you. And um, as you as a congregation, and uh, Glenn, I, I'm sure he's interacting with the... Wow. It kind of sounds like Chris's humor, to be honest with you. Sorry. I sat on some, um, an ordination counselor too with Chris and over the years, and I've enjoyed him and his humor as he ministered to pastors, and we'd meet quarterly, and so it was always refreshing. So I interact with all the churches. In our, right now there's a little over 100 churches and, and church plants, and so we would interact together and uh, talk and so, yeah, so it is um, so sorry with what's happened, but I'm also rejoicing for Chris, not for Robin and the kids, but, you know, Chris is certainly where he needs to be at this point, and it's comforting. That's the hope we have, isn't it? It really is. I'd like you to turn your Bibles to John chapter 12. This is a, I have to confess to you, I've had a, the last 30 minutes of getting here, or before we left the house, I struggled. Um, when, I was, when, when I got the email and asked me if I would preach this week, I said, well, certainly I'd do it. And um, I, I knew the passage I wanted to speak on, and yet as I rustled through it and I got closer and closer, I started thinking, is this the right thing to do? You know, um, if you've preached before, if you've taught before, this is a, this is a typical scenario. And so I, I had to lean on Jackie this morning for some comfort and just to give me her point of view as well. I don't like talking about my message even to her before I speak. I, I just, I don't need a commentary before I even start it. You know, um, I'll get a great commentary afterwards and um, um, I'll be re- re- reminded of what I could have done and could have not have done, and as I'm sure Robin did with Chris. That's pretty typical of a pastor's wife. But in this, um, whenever somebody dies and I'm asked to do a funeral, I almost always speak from John 11. And I'm I'm saying this just to encourage you. Uh, When you read the story of Lazarus being raised from the dead, but the interaction between Jesus and the disciples and Martha and Mary 
shows us all the different stages of grieving. It's a very powerful passage, very comforting, because we realize, hey, we're human. Uh, we're going to, you know, when Thomas said, well, let's go and die with him. You know, all those kinds of things go through your head when you lose a loved one. And then with the tragedies of yesterday, just kind of pounded on me this morning, and I think it was more my, my pastoral heart and wanting uh, the comfort and just knowing there's so many grieving people out there. At the same token, as I came to John chapter 12, there's a pivotal change here. And there are some implications about John chapter 12 that I, because after John chapter 12, you have chapter 13, which is the upper room. If, if you look at chapter 12, it starts off as, so now, therefore, in six days. From the time of Lazarus being raised from the dead to now isn't a long time. Now, just being the, the, the pastor I am, when you think of times of the year, you think of Pentecost, that was, what, 50 days after Christ's resurrection? This all is happening like within a 60-day time period. And then when you go back and you look at the other scriptures, I, I mean, you look at Matthew 21 to Matthew 26 is going on in the same chapter 12. They're talking about the Lord's return. They're talking about future judgment. Jesus really gets into the, into the Pharisees' faces, calls them a brood of vipers. He does them the whitewashed terms. I mean, there's a lot going on here. And we're just getting chapter 12 here. So John isn't including everything, but he's given his perspective. And it's a different one. Uh, this goes on in Mark 11, chapters uh, 11 to 14, and also Luke 19 to 22. So a lot of conversations are going on, and we're only going to get chapter 12 here. So to give a framework, there's only six days, and then we're jumping in, and then he has his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey. People are singing Hosanna, and John doesn't even report a lot of that. It just, the Hosanna, blessed, and you know, as he comes in in verse 12, it's again, it says the next day. So now we're seven days from Lazarus. And then we enter into this time. Uh, as far as number of days, it doesn't say a lot. It says the next day. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know the full time period here, but it's going fast. But when we get to verse 17, remember they rejoiced in Jesus riding in the town. And again, he, he, he begins and he says, so the people, in verse 17 who were with him when he called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to testify about him. So, so there's a lot of buzz going on here. So much so in verse 18, uh, the people went and met him because they heard that he had performed this sign. So the, again, a lot of, lots going on in the, in the culture here. And the Pharisees in verse 19 said to one another, you see... Um, you see that you are not doing any good. Look, the world has gone after him. So the religious leaders were a little frustrated and distraught. Again, this is a quick time period happening, just days. So now Pentecost is, not, not, not Pentecost, but the Passover is coming. That's where we come into chapter 13. But in verse 20, it takes a little bit of a shift here. You can always blame it on the Greeks, but they start in verse 20. It says, Now there were some Greeks among those who were going up to worship at the feast. These then came to Philip, who was 
from Bethsaida of Galilee and began to ask him, saying, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip came and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip came and told Jesus. Andrew was always the one that was introduced, doing the introducing of people to Jesus. And Jesus answered, saying, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, it dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. He who loves his life loses it, and he who hates his life in this world will keep it to life eternal. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now my soul, verse 27, has, has um, become troubled, Jesus said. What shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose I came for this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice came out of heaven, and I have been, and I both, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. We'll talk about that in a minute. So the crowd of people who stood by and heard it were saying that it thundered. Others were saying it was an angel spoken to him. Jesus answered and said, "This voice has not come for my sake, but for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of the world will be cast out." And if I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. And he was saying this to indicate the kind of death which he was to die. And the crowd then answered him, We have heard out of the law that the Christ is to remain forever. How can you say the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is the Son of Man? That's what's going on. It was all this, the people groups coming together for the Passover. It wasn't just the Greeks. Uh, most everybody agrees there were at least four groups of people here. There were the Jewish people, the, rel- the religious leaders, and if you read the other Gospels at this top period of time, just covering these couple paragraphs we read, you'll see there was a lot of turmoil with the religious leaders. They were not happy. They wanted to take Jesus out. You know that you get to chapter 13 of John, and then there's the betrayal by Judas. So Judas has already been to, already been to the temple. I mean, all this, all these dynamics are going on. But then you also had the Greeks, and not only the Greeks, but you had all the people groups. When you think of Pentecost and all the nations represented, and and when Peter spoke and it went out to their own languages, and people came under conviction and many came to faith in Christ. There are a lot of people here. This wasn't just like three or four people together. Then he had Jesus' disciples. A lot of dynamics going on. One of the things, if, if you think about it, just think of yesterday. We're here, we were here celebrating Chris's life, remembering him, and look what was going on all around us in the world and other people's lives, even across the street. It's always amazes me as a pastor. And God's sovereign has his hand on it, and nothing escapes his notice. And so we come to John chapter 12. What's going on here? Well, I think um, one of the things as I meditate on this passage and I reflect about it, I, I, I really saw it as an invitation. Jesus is extending an invitation to the people in three different areas. And if you want to write these down and remember them, it's going to be very simple. He's, he's extending an invitation to his kingdom. You can enter the kingdom. The second thing was to Embrace the cross. And third was 
simply to engage in the harvest. When you look at us, it isn't like a passage where you could just take, oh yeah, this word means this and this means this, and you have this three nice three-point, five-point sermon. It's a little bit different going on here, the dynamics. Jesus is revealing quite a bit here as he invites these people. The people wanted to see him, wanted to talk to him, and Jesus answered Philip and Andrew, and so the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then he starts to talk to them about the kingdom. Uh, it doesn't say the word kingdom here. In fact, you read some commentators, and like Warren Worsby, uh, I know a lot of you guys are really well studied, but Worsby talks about that this chapter should be about the glorification. The glory is being revealed. Glory is repeated in this chapter quite a bit. Others talk about the kingdom. It's very, very interesting. I didn't read that till I actually was in bed last night and opened up somebody else's thoughts on it and it said, the first thing he said was an invitation to the kingdom. I thought, wow, God, you led me really well this week. You know, I was, yeah, patting myself on the back, thinking, oh man, I, it was good. But the idea here that he's inviting people into a kingdom, the people that were coming for Passover, for Passover weren't just normal people. They were at least God-fearers. There was an interest. They had an interest in the Passover, in the Lord God Jehovah, and they were coming to celebrate the Passover. But what are, where does Jesus start? He starts by giving them, not only it wasn't about the Passover, but he was talking about a proper concept of who the Messiah is. If you remember, you can go into John chapter 13 and 14, they thought the Messiah was going to come and free them from the Roman control. It was going to come and, you know, even in the garden, Peter took his sword and just cut off the ear of a slave. I mean, they really thought the new Messiah was going to come and establish his kingdom and free them from Rome. And sometimes we do that when we talk about going to church. We're not getting the full picture. In fact, we're missing it. And the people here were missing it. And Jesus said, it's time for the Son of Man to be glorified. And then as I read it earlier in verse 33 and 34, they said, who's the Son of Man? What do you mean he has got to be lifted up? The Messiah is going to come. He's going to be eternal. They thought the Messiah would declare himself. He was the king. They celebrated him coming to Jerusalem. He's going to forever be here, and he's going to take control, and we're going to be set free from Roman control. They missed it. See, the kingdom that Jesus was introducing him to wasn't of this world. His kingdom is going to be established in this world, but it really wasn't of this world. It was a kingdom that was going to be an eternal kingdom, but they weren't getting it. They weren't seeing it. Now, you even go on in chapter 12 here, and you'll see in verse 40, he quotes Isaiah, so, um, where Isaiah said that God has blinded their eyes and he's hardened their hearts, so they would not see with their eyes and receive with their hearts and be converted and heal them. A lot, a lot is going on here. Why? Because Jesus hadn't been yet to the cross. But nevertheless, there was an invitation in this chapter to enter the kingdom. And he said here, he said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone, and if it dies, it bears much fruit. He was referring to himself. But the same token... It's reference to us as followers. He goes on, he says, He who loves his life loses it. He who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me where I am. 
Where is my servant also? Anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Boy, he's jumped really fast. He's jumped to himself going to the cross, and now he's talking about us. He's talking about entering the kingdom. Now, when he says in verse 28, he said, I have both glorified and glorified it again. One of the realities here is that God was glorified in sending his son. You remember when the baby was born in the manger and God announced his glory to the shepherds? Well, he's going to be glorified in Christ's death. It was his plan. You could read Isaiah 53. You see it very succinctly. You read the end of the Gospels and you'll see that God was glorified in it. So there's, and, and this new, um, this new idea, this new um, Messiah troubled the religious leaders. And I, and I often think of a, years as a pastor, how people want to come to church and they want to feel good. Or they want just enough God to not make them feel convicted about something. My, my, my parents chose to go from one church to another because my mother didn't want to be in a church that made her feel uncomfortable about her sin. She's very vocal about it. It's not uncommon. Uh, we see later on in this chapter, and let's see, verse 42, nevertheless many even of the rulers believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they were not confessing for fear they would be put out of the synagogue because they wanted the approval of men, but not of God. How many times we wrestle in our religious culture about not wanting to be rejected because maybe we're too fanatic for Jesus or we're talking about Jesus all the time? Or I, Have you ever been accused of that? Why are you always talking about Jesus? I don't know. But, but there was tension here going on here. I found this cartoon. Can you put the cartoon up? I found this the other day. Maybe you saw it too, and it, it um, kind of struck me. They're having a business meeting. By the way, you're going to have a business meeting, but look at this. We're hoping you'll lead us on a journey of transformation without requiring any real changes. <laughs> Just think about that the next time you hire a pastor. <laughs> but those are issues that a pastor in a, a church deals with is we're looking not for you know, your attendance, we're looking for transformation. We're looking for life change. It just isn't coming and uh, as some people said, you know, coming and giving your money. My, my dad still says, still gives the same $200 every year to his local church. But he's been going there for 70 years. But the, in his head, that's what it's about. They just want his money. But people do that. Jesus is inviting people to a kingdom that is not, in, it's not exclusive. It's very inclusive. And it's to be different. It's going to have to live differently, going to have to think differently, and it's a different kingdom. He said, you're going to have to hate this life that you're living. That's a hard statement. You might like your life. Jesus said, he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal. It's easy in our culture to get acclimated to a point where we just enjoy our life. Nothing wrong with enjoying your life but to the point where we're not really serving the Lord Jesus and following him and what he's asked of us, that gets tough. So Jesus is calling this religious community an invitation to enter into his kingdom, and it's going to be a different kingdom. He also um, is inviting them to embrace a cross. 
And in embracing the cross and Christ's redemption, he's also calling us to die to ourselves. Now, when he lists this out here, there's some good news for this. First of all, it's not like you have to do anything more than you've already done if you've trusted Christ. Uh, Jesus said in verse 27, this is the purpose I came for. We, we read on in the book of Hebrews where the joy set before him, he, won, he endured the cross. Um, it, it was God's, God the Father, the, the triune God's desire that Jesus go to the cross. That wasn't God's plan before the world was even created. And Jesus came, he states. Think of substitutionary atonement. Ever hear those words before? He was the propitiation for our sin. In other words, Christ's sacrifice on the cross satisfied the demands that, that God's uh, wrath wanted to put on us because of the penalty of our sin. Jesus satisfied that. It's done. And not only for ours, but for the whole world. It's paid for. It's not universal salvation. because you still got to put your faith and trust in Christ's work at the cross for your sin. But he satisfied the demands of God's wrath. He also lavished us in his grace. He shed his blood for our forgiveness. That's why that's why celebrating communion today, when Bill got back to me, he said, would you mind doing that? I said, no. I, I mean, it fits this passage really well. That's what he shows in chapter 13 here. Uh, this is a precursor. So he's, he's, he's invited us to enter his kingdom, but he's also inviting us to embrace the cross. Um, this cross is uh, laid out here, and you know John Piper said this is really hard if you if you just look at the difficult things here. But he but he's saying we must die to self. We must die. He's called us to hate the life we have in this world, and if we serve, we have to follow him. And then he said, if you serve me, God will honor you. It almost sounds like a works thing, but it's really not. Here's the reality. When you and I trust Christ, something glorious happened. Romans 6 tells us that we've been united with him in our death and his resurrection. The moment you trust Christ. Think about it. You didn't have to work for that. It's all free. It's a free gift, Romans 5 said. You were helpless, you were enemies of God, you were all this, and yet God entered your world, drew you, and you trusted him. What a gift. So for us to actually embrace the cross is, is, is to go farther than just our point of salvation, is to embrace the cross. In Luke 9, Jesus said you need to pick up your cross and follow him daily. It, uh, to follow Christ is more than just praying a prayer and saying, I'm, I'm in. When you go to Galatians 5, this is one of the beauty, this is one of the things that... It, probably took me a while to grasp, but to understand that when I received Christ, all my fleshly passions and desires were crucified in Christ already. It's already done. See, positionally before God the Father, we're not only His children, but He's done all these things for us. There's a book, and I, I don't know if Chris ever saw this, but it's, it was done by somebody who went to Dallas, it's called uh, Dallas Army. 33 things Christ does the moment you come to faith in Christ. Uh, typically, you could just look at the first couple chapters of Ephesians, first couple chapters of Colossians, 
and you'll find most of them right there. That God has done for you already, but the moment we trust Him, they're ours. So positionally, God looks at us differently than we look at ourselves. When you and I got up and we looked at our mirrors this morning, we probably saw a whole bunch of different ideas. But just think of it, at the moment you trusted Christ, you have been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places were yours in Christ. God didn't hold anything back for you. So when you start hearing those thoughts about you're good enough, you're not this, you're not accepted, you're not... That's all from the enemy. That's from the flesh, the enemy who's still after your soul. That's why being in the Word of God as believers is so crucial for us to grow in understanding this truth, understand the practice. So salvation is really more about transformation. I'll get you the 33 things. I think you'd enjoy it. So it's, it's coming to the cross is more than walking an aisle. But as believers, as we're on this side of the cross, understanding the need to die to ourself, Jesus was inviting them to the cross to, for redemption and to pick up that cross. It's, it, it, it's a sobering passage. At the same token, it's freeing because we're talking about eternal life here. We're talking about in a, being in this kingdom and reflecting. And he goes on to tell us that we're sons of light. And that's where he talks about engaging, inviting us to engage the harvest. Because you look at these verses in verse 24, it's like a negative and a positive in the same one, if you want to call it that way. Sure, we must die, to, but we're going to bear much fruit. Uh, we're going to keep our lives for eternal life. We're going to join Jesus in glory. The Father will honor us. There's a lot going on here again. See, that's why I said it's just not like an easy little three-point sermon here. It's understanding the dynamics of what Christ is trying to say when he invited people into the kingdom. He invited them to embrace the cross, but he's also inviting us to enter and engage the harvest field around us. Because people don't get it. Even though Jesus was trying to reveal it to them, and you know, on, on this side of the cross, you and I have the Holy Spirit. Because once you receive Christ, the Holy Spirit dwells within you, and He begins to, as you open up the Scriptures, He begins to teach you things you have no idea. And some of you experience that, the joy and just, wow, that was for me. I mean, God's at work here. Jesus goes on, He says in verse 30, this voice, a voice came from heaven and said both, I have glorified it and will glorify it again. So the crowd of people stood by and heard, saying um, that it had been thunder or an angel had spoken to him. And Jesus said, this voice has not come for my sake, but it's for your sakes. Now judgment is upon this world, and now the ruler of the world will be cast out. And if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. Whenever Jesus is lifted up, he draws people. He draws people when it has nothing to do with us. It's amazing the work of God in the world that goes on. And he, he sees it, we don't. But he's at work in so many different groups. In verse 35, he says, For a little while longer the light is among you. Walk while you have the light so that darkness will not overtake you. He who walks in darkness does not know where he goes. While you have the light, believe in the light so that you may become Sons of the light. He's speaking to these, uh, the disciples, the people around him. Then he went away and hid himself from them. 
He performed many signs, it said, and um, just to fulfill the word of Isaiah. And he lays out the prophecy. Interesting chapter. It's also the last recorded day before Jesus went in the upper room. Last recorded day of his public ministry. No more public ministry after this. This was it. So when you go back to Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and you see all the dynamics and all the other conversations, chapter 12 encompasses a lot of conversations. Jesus was doing a lot of teaching about what's to come, the judgment, all that was coming on. It was going down at the time. Glory was certain, certainly being revealed. By the way, if, if you read John chapter 12, you've got to go and you've got to read John chapter 17, his high priestly prayer, because a lot of these are, are woven right through his high priestly prayer. But I re, verse 4, when I, when I read about the word about glory being re, uh, repeated so much, 17.4 says, I, Jesus is praying to the Father, I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. We celebrated yesterday how Chris's life was finished and how God was glorified through Chris's life. Chris finished the, as much as he could. Uh, he held on. Um, my brother had the same cancer that Chris did. My brother didn't get as many months as Chris did. And I'm, I'm, I'm grateful for what God did give to him. But you and I are called as disciples to be involved in his kingdom. We're involved, we've been invited to embrace the cross. We've been invited, really, to enter into the harvest field, engage the people in the harvest that need him. So this invitation comes down to some implications. And here's just a few I thought of. And First of all, I asked the question, are we dead? I mean, sometimes we're kind of, we can be in the scriptures and church so long that we kind of get kind of self-righteous about ourselves. We can pass on our, can be a little bit more judgmental, but the really question in humility, are, are, are we dead to ourselves to where we can really engage those around us who really need an eternal hope? Um, are we following Christ? If, 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 you, if you and I have been given a task to do, what is that task? Are you fulfilling the role and the things that God has given you to do in your life? Uh, it's a good one. You know, uh, just, you know, we're all human, but even being in the scriptures on a daily basis is hard. It's hard for pastors, too. We all have our moments. But our prayer life, loving our families and taking time for people, those are all real-life things we all deal with. Again, it, yeah, uh, there's a lot of things you don't know about me, but I encourage Jackie all the time that one day I will be perfect, but it's going to be when I'm in heaven. I have my moments. It's the same with you, though. You and I are, are, are not perfect people. God didn't call us to perfection. We've already been declared perfect in Christ. We have arrived positionally, but right now it's in our daily, daily practice. So are we dead? Are we following? 
And as Jesus said in verse 35 and 36, are we walking in the light of eternity? Not the things of the world. doesn't mean you can't engage and have fun. It's nothing about that. It's about what's going on in the inside in our soul. And so when this turmoil and this tragedy happen, you know, I, you know, I, I feel so helpless as not being able to do anybody. Um, we have a friend who's a national speaker. He's written a lot of books, but one thing he tweeted this morning, he says, you know, make sure you love a Mexican today. So apparently one of these was a hate crime. But just think of what goes on in our life and how we look at people, view people, but to even be able to share the love of God with people around us who are different than us and to let them know that there's a God who loves them and cares about them. That's what Jesus was trying to tell the people here. And his last public day, he was inviting people into his kingdom. He was inviting people to embrace the cross, and he was inviting people to engage the harvest. Because there's people all around us that need Jesus. Let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the wonder of knowing you. Thank you for not only redeeming us, but your, your continuing grace and mercy you extend to us in Christ, Lord. We are so humbled by that. We're lacking in so much, but we know that in you we could do all things through you that strengthens us. So, Father, we give ourselves to you today and guide our paths in our life. We'll give you praise in Christ's name. Amen.